You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for February 6, 2015. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from just outside Aaron Schock's Downton Abbey Bathhouse Rotunda, it's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. And did you know that Aaron Schock's newsletter is called The Shock Report? Uh, <laughs> I, I inferred it. <laughs> Because what else would it be called? We we heard from several listeners this week and po- and blog readers this week about, oh, please, yeah. do let us know, is Aaron Schock your congressman? And the answer is no, he is not. No. Awfully close, though. The totally not gay Aaron Schock is not our congressman. He, nope. But we live about 15 blocks from his uh, local office in Springfield. So yeah. when you drive downtown, it's right there, right there on 6th Street. And it uh-huh. does not have a rainbow awning. flag outside. <laughs> no I'm rainbow sure. awning, no rainbow flag out front. I'm pretty sure, however, that's only because the uh, mayor is worried that it will keep people awake past 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> there is a study in contrast between the mayor of Springfield and Aaron Schock. There is. Just about is. every way. And yet they're in the same political party. They are in the same political party. And there's a reason why Aaron Schock does not... Uh, let let his freak flag fly. It's because no. of Republicans like no. Mayor Mike Houston, who is uh, thinks that a rock concert's downtown after 930. You don't want that to happen because people are trying to sleep. He literally said that. Aaron Schock's had a really rough week. One of his uh, staff, yeah. uh, I don't know if you heard this today, one of his staff had to quit because... Uh, Facebook pages were, posts were discovered where he had called uh, African-Americans in his own neighborhood uh, racist names and referred to them as animals, you know, really bad stuff. So So, the shock report did not cover any of this, however. And also made, I believe, several insulting remarks about Judy Garland. And so he had to go. He had to go. Had to go. We cannot have that. Downton Abbey, Judy Garland, good Lord. I'm shocked that a Republican Congress congressional staffer would be discovered to have said incredibly racist things about yeah anybody yeah, yeah. yeah right no it's pretty it's pretty pretty bad um, Aaron Shock what can I say he's he's we call him no he's not perfect for your niece yeah. Aaron Shock because uh, the ladies do love him they do you know, they do. They do. Uh, but uh, this is not Egypt, and we do not swim in denial no. around here. No, no, so. no. He's uh, he's a confirmed bachelor. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and a and very it, snappy dresser. And he knows his constituents very well. Well, and that was what I wanted to ask you about because yeah. you had such a wonderful reenactment of Aaron Shock's re-election campaign ads, which are of the most unassuming. Dirty overall, uh, butch farmer. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> yep. Yep. Telling us all about Aaron Shock and what a good congressman he is, and because you know, he's going to get us a farm bill. He's going to get that farm bill down here, and uh, <laughs> he, he loves his coal. He loves coal. We love coal here. He loves coal, 
And, uh, you know, he loves the crops. He's up with the, he's up with the chickens or the cocks. I think he said at one time, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's, he's a, he's a good old boy and he uh, gets us, uh, our farm bills, mm-hmm. what, which means he gets us our federal subsidy. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And he does not, he is not shy about getting federal money for the district when oh. possible. So, uh, yeah, he well doesn't, fair. he doesn't turn off. He doesn't think government can't do anything because government can bring plenty of money to the district and that he knows that that's his job. When you live in the middle of farm country, let's let's get real. You depend on the government for you're a you are up early. You work hard. There's nothing nothing about the work ethic of of the farmer that I I find anything less than admirable. But come on, you depend an awful lot on the government for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's not pretend that you don't. and he's really good about getting them um, what they think they deserve, what what uh, what they need to keep their farms running. And he's very reliable. He loves coal, loves farms, loves America, uh, and he's got a six pack ab. So you know, and, <laughs> and he likes to, that, he loves ski vacations with his bachelor friends. He does. And beyond that, we don't ask too many questions. Uh, a lot of a lot of cases, I think it's because um, some people have kids like that. <laughs> And they don't really want to find out too much about what's going on when Junior goes off to college. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they're just glad he's healthy and, you know, he's he's doing well in school. Um, and so there is a certain level of, um, <laughs> I don't know, waspish, um, benevolent denial, perhaps, uh, that lets uh, uh, Aaron Schock just run for office. And you know what? I'm glad he's, he's a congressman from around here. Yeah, um, yeah. Because we're going to have a Republican no matter what we do. <clears throat> and I am uh, I would much rather have a fight over ideas mm-hmm. than a fight mm-hmm. over whether or not someone is. Now, if he were a, a champion of a lunatic cause like Lindsey Graham, if he were such a, a monumental hypocrite um, and, and that his closetedness, let's just say, uh, becomes an issue. Well, and for a lot of gay people, his closetedness has been an issue because mm-hmm. he votes against. He gay does. marriage, and he, he votes. He votes against. Don't ask. Don't tell. Even so, I mean, I understand people having, you know, a fit about this. That uh-huh. uh, he ought to come out and be who he really is, and speak for himself, stand up for himself and his lifestyle, and not expect people to judge him. But uh, he's not. Definitely. He's not there yet. But. No. And well, that, that's the day and another have. week like this one, and he'll have that's, to be. I mean, that's, that's the week. That's the week you have a really good going away party, yeah. uh, because that would be his last week in the Republican Party. Uh, well, um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how how things unfold in the next ten years. Yeah, you know, things have changed yeah. very rapidly. So yes, they have. Um, we'll we'll and, just but, have to see. And, but and the reactionary people inside the GOP have gotten more reactionary. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a real there's a real tension there and that's yes, and something's going to break and that's yep. good. That's it's good. Goddamn time. Yep. Yep. All right. So, we're going to we're going to leave Aaron Shock and move Aaron. on. <laughs> or A.A. Ron, whichever A.A. Ron. Yeah. <laughs> that's a key and peel joke, everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also very funny people. Yes, also very funny people. Um religion. This uh, this <laughs> Wasn't we didn't intend for this to be a religious show or a Bible bitch show? Marriage, um, marriage. <laughs> but there have been three incidents this week that all relate to how we approach religion as a society. 
Yep. Today, Barack Obama gave a speech at the National Prayer Breakfast. And uh, the National Prayer Breakfast is sponsored by some nefarious right-wing Christianist lobbying group and not by any government institution. But it is pandered to uh, pretty dramatically by politicians of every stripe. And I understand that it it upsets some people. But uh, Barack Obama made it an opportunity to celebrate separation of church and state, and he is to be Uh, applauded for that. (laughs) He really... It was a serious speech. It was a considered speech. I both listened to the whole thing and then went and read it. And um, I have to say that uh, at the time I heard it, he did not appear to be trolling the religious right. But then I went and read it and like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he <laughs> oh, never yeah, does. He no, he's good about not appearing to be. But let me tell you, yeah. uh, this speech was written with a definite jab towards uh, what we call Christianists people who think that um, Christianity is the only religion that can represent America. And uh, the reaction from the right wing of the Breitbarts and the Hot Air and uh, National Review Online was all very swift. And predictable. And predictable, because Barack Obama said, you know, people use religion for good and for wonderful things, and then people use religion for not so good. They used it for they used it to justify slavery. They used it for the Crusades to kill people, and uh, and then he said, and ISIS use ISIL uses religion to kill people too, and uh-huh. so of course the right wing websites are saying Barack Obama says <clears throat> Christianity in America is no better than ISIL. Yeah. yeah. No. Okay. No. Not what he said. Nope. And uh, <laughs> one of the commenters at Breitbart, I know I shouldn't do this, but it did make me laugh. <clears throat> said. Yeah, Democrats had slaves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only Democrats <clears throat> literally said that. Only Democrats had slaves. Which is why, to this day... <laughs> there are only go, Democrats in those southern slave states, right? Yeah, if you, if, oh, there's only <laughs> Democrats in Alabama. Yeah. And if you go through the Democratic stronghold of Massachusetts, you will see a lot of no-neck, redneck, toothless... Stars and bars, uh, flag-waving... Uh, uh, people with slaveholders. Uh, yeah, Confederate <laughs> flags on their Priuses. Yeah, um, it's a stronghold uh, <laughs> of, uh, of of that kind of reactionary. Just and idiocy. really, they just idiocy. They, just, they, they take a meat axe to American history and chop out the half a century that makes their life so inconvenient, mm-hmm. and just throw it away. Mm-hmm. And they live among this the moral squalor and of. Uh, other people who let them get away with it. Yep. This is the again. This is the tribe that rubs shit in its hair. They they sound absolutely butt stupid, bone stick stone stupid, as Harlan Ellison says um, when they come out of the cave. Uh, but but they all sound the same. That's the thing that's really just mm-hmm. depressing and creepy. Is they all goose step to the same tune. And I want to get back to the prayer breakfast speech. Yeah, yeah. And just yeah, point about point out. Um, he, I thought it was rather ironic that he started his religious comments with a paragraph about humility. Oh, that's not what I heard. Mm-hmm. I heard he started, started with death to the West. So. No, he didn't. No? He started no. with humility. And and David Brooks has taught a whole course in Yale at Yale about humility. <laughs> Where, 
And David Brooks had a column this week that you you said, you know, Fran, maybe you should just talk about this one. Yeah, I'm going to step back. We're going to have a little crossover episode, kind of a alien versus predator kind of thing going on here. I would like (sighs) the gal to step in and tell me what you think of, because this is not atypical. No, I know. And you said, I could show you so many more David Brooks columns. I said, please don't. No, I won't. (laughs) But this was so in your wheelhouse. It's in my wheelhouse. And I think I read it from a different perspective than yours. You know, you've read hundreds of David Brooks columns. I've read probably 30 and and i know and they follow a pattern and i know to look for the razor blade in the apple and it's always there and i know he beats up on hippies and on and on and on but this column was about building a better secularist building better secularists is what he wants to do because there's absolutely nothing else in the world to write about (laughs) And he's reading this book that he really uh-huh. likes. That's yes. that's witty and and uh, erudite. And so it it it's possible to recommend this book and then write seven hundred and ninety nine more words, and you're done. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Take the weekend and, off. And that's that's what he did. Uh, the perspective that I had after reading it was that David Brooks really does think that all of modern society is lazy. And beneath him. And beneath him. Yes. And so it's his job. This really is a moving Lego characters around on a play map and saying, okay, all of you over here that are secular and don't go to church or don't go to shul and don't believe in God and uh, just think you can just be a good person and you'll be all right. Um, you're lazy. Uh-huh. And that's why you don't go to church and you don't do any uh, sort of work towards getting into a religion is because you're all lazy and but i've got a secret to tell you it's actually easier on the other side you don't have to do as much work if you just join a church or a shul or a, a established religion right and he gives all these examples of how all this work that the secularist has to do and so i'll just i'm just going to list these secular wow. individuals have to build their own moral philosophies Secular people have to fashion their own moral motivation. Think about that for a minute. Yeah, just because. Yeah. <laughs> uh, secular people. Uh, it's not that secular people should become religious. You either believe in God or you don't. <laughs> but <laughs> neither is the point that religious people are better than secular people. That's that defies social science evidence and common observation. Now, this is where he gets down to it. The point is that an age of mass secularization is an age in which millions of people have put unprecedented moral burdens upon themselves. Yes. People who don't know how to take up these burdens don't turn bad, they drift. Like me. They they suffer Thanks, David Brooks. They suffer from a loss of meaning and an unconscious boredom with their own lives. Now, I I think First of all, David Brooks is suffering from an unconscious boredom with his own life, but that's, I don't need to psychoanalyze him. Um, Divorce. I'm sorry. What? No. It, it right. occurred, <laughs> he did get divorced yeah. not too long ago. Uh, the um, thing that really insulted me about this article, uh, this column, is his belief that religious people don't have any work to do. Yeah. That it's so much easier if you're within an established religious community because you don't have to do the work of forming a community. You don't have to do the work 
of you just you're motivated by your love of God and your fervent desire to please him, as he says. That's what religious people are motivated by. So you don't have to find your own moral motivation. It's easier. You just don't have to think at all, really. (laughs) You just here's a book. Do what it says. I know plenty of people who sit in church every Sunday and are dead inside. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely dead inside. Uh Uh-huh. And it has nothing to do with whether you're religious or secular. It has and and the comment that, well, you either believe in God or you don't. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. There's a lot of people who go to church every Sunday who don't know who preach on the pulpit who don't know if God exists or not. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And And it's weird that David Brooks doesn't fucking know that. No, I know. Exactly. Exactly. Because he doesn't. And the other thing that I found insulting, I'm sorry, this is really your territory, but I'm insulted for the opposite reason, Mm -hmm. uh, which is that I know plenty of religious people who struggle Mm -hmm. with their faith all their life. They're secular people the same way. I mean, exactly. If anything, I think secularists oftentimes think more about these issues than Uh someone that goes to church all the time. I get that um, because because they do have. Uh, they have struck out on their own to a certain extent, but uh, it's not—it's <laughs> not as if it is. Look, if you move over here to the religious side, the Lego fantasy land is already built. It's already according to spec, and you can just come in here, and everything's all set for you. Yeah, it's. There's it's, no it's, such thing, and if you are if you are human, you carry a broken heart. That's my definition. One of my definition uh-huh. of being human. And you have to cope with that. And people cope with that in different ways. And he could have said that, but he had to make a prescription for the dirty, rotten hippies or the lazy people who don't come to grips with the idea that it's just easier to, to be like me. To be and, like David Brooks. Yeah, to be like David Brooks and follow an established religion. Well, and, and you'll notice that he his, his solution is always the same, which is uh, you should just submit to authority. <laughs> That's the answer to, to your disorganized or, or create, life. In, in, in this particular column, create your own authority. Create yeah. an authority that then every all secularists can follow. But and as soon as that have... gels, as soon as that kind of comes together uh-huh. and there's an organization to it and a structure to being a secularist, which may be the whole problem. I mean, that may be the part of, of uh, organizing principle that people just hate and don't want to be a part of. Uh, but he doesn't accept that. Everyone wants to be orderly. <laughs> right. So. And, and, there, and there has to be a hierarchy. Yeah. And in the end of the day, David Brooks has to be at the top of the hierarchy. <laughs> and that's the way it goes. And really, I now that <clears throat> there's a certain uh, long-range pattern to his behavior, because mm-hmm. now that he has completely failed as a foreign policy expert mm-hmm. and completely failed as an economist and completely failed as a historian, as completely failed as a political observer of anything, Everything he's turned his hand to that involves numerical certainty, actual things you can point to in the physical world or historical world and say, yes, you're right, or no, you're not. He's failed at all of that shit, and he still has a really good job. And that's, I think, because he has, he has decided he wants to become the rabbi of the Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. And he wants to become a very specific kind of rabbi, because I, I've known a lot of rabbis, and David Brooks ain't like any of them. David Brooks wants to be the rabbi from... Um, Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> well, on the one hand, 
And on the other hand, but who knows? That's all he wants. He wants to go through the rest of his fucking life being paid enormous amounts of money mm -hmm. to be presented with vexing questions by eager students to which he says, you know, on the one hand, but on the other hand, but really who knows? And that's all he wants to do until he dies. Mm -hmm. And he'd probably get away with it. But he has really gotten past the whole, um, I'm a, he's gotten over on people. He has gotten – he's built himself a reputation where he can just sit on his um, his toilet <laughs> and muse about the moral imperfections of lesser mortals and how they could just – like you said, like Legos. If they would just rearrange their lives the way I've rearranged mine, mm -hmm. if they would just follow my blueprint and, and do what people like me, <laughs> who wasp wannabes who live in Washington, tell them to do – then they'd be much happier and better organized. Well, and, and my last comment on this is uh, something that I've been thinking a lot about from my time in Alabama among uh, suburban white Baptists, uh -huh. um, in which being a good Baptist in Alabama among the people that I, frankly, lived in a neighborhood with, uh, it meant that you drive your Escalade... <laughs> Yeah. From from your mega church to the game in the afternoon. Uh -huh. uh huh. You know, you stop by your sidewalk free subdivision, pick up some beers maybe for your Escalade, drive your Escalade to the to the game. You know, and then uh, you know, you've got your hot blonde wife and your uh, circular drive and a barbecue pit next to your swimming pool, and uh, you've made it as a Christian. And that's what what being one of God's chosen is. It's prosperity. Well, it's not just prosperity. It's it's lifestyle. It's yeah. it's simply a lifestyle that is endorsed by God. And David Brooks, it, it means being wealthy, connected, Torah student with David Gregory. Right. And it's a lifestyle. Right. And I'm an intellectual too, so you know that makes me superior. And and frankly. Uh, I know how to, what to tell secularists about how to arrange their life and how to arrange their movement. And um, regardless of whether, and, and you know how I feel that atheists are, are God's chosen. <laughs> you know, God. they're, they're the hardest working people in the, in the belief business. They are. And uh, they, they're honest with themselves. And we're, and we're going to get to Stephen Fry next. Yeah. Um, but the inner life, whether it's, uh, whether you consider it God-sourced or not, uh, is too important to be represented by lifestyle. And, and you know what? Uh, if if you're down at a soup kitchen mm -hmm. feeding people, I don't give a shit what you believe. Yeah, right. right. I really don't. Nope. You know, that's none of my business. But if you if you are devoting your life to, in, to the service of others, to helping others, to, to making the world a better place for you having been in it, then I really – I'd like to hear at some point over a beer – uh, how you came to that place, but uh, it doesn't matter to me whether you're a secularist or an atheist or a humanist mm -hmm. or or a Baptist. Frankly, if you're in the trenches helping out, that's really all that matters. So let's talk about uh, Stephen Fry because yeah. Lawrence had him on. Uh, had Lawrence had a clip. On, clip. Lawrence O'Donnell had a clip of Stephen Fry talking uh, some blasphemy in Ireland on an Irish on an Irish television show uh -huh. where it's illegal. Where it's where it's technically, as as our son would say, technically it's illegal. Yeah, it's illegal. Uh, very good natured uh, relationship repartee with the host of the show, 
who asked him, what would you do if you died and got to the pearly gates and found out there is a God and uh-huh. you are going to heaven? And what would you say to God? And um, Stephen Fry had what I have an answer that I have heard before many uh-huh. times, which is how dare you? How dare you let children suffer? And how dare you allow suffering? And uh-huh. it, it's the Job question. It's, it, you know, it's as old as Job and it's... Um, My favorite book. It's a, it's, it's an, it is an answer to that question. And uh, Stephen Fry was passionate and articulate. Um, I found it interesting that he used the example of the guinea worm. Why would God create a worm that eats through a child's eye? Yeah. Um, because... <laughs> There's another famous person named Jimmy Carter who, in in part via his faith, I think he would attest to that, uh-huh. uh, went out and, and worked to eradicate the guinea worm uh-huh. and uh, make it possible for societies uh, that are affected by this horrible parasite to be free of it. And so, you know, you can... <laughs> there's two approaches to the guinea worm. Jimmy uh-huh. Carter went out and distributed straws that allowed people to drink water without getting the guinea worm into their system, filtered straws. Stephen Fry used the guinea worm to bitch about God. <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but and, so, and that, but note how the in, show... In a very like... clever and friendly and um, pleasant way. I, I Lawrence O'Donnell was right to celebrate that, you know, one can agree to disagree and be in good humor and maybe someday in Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries, blasphemy will not be uh, will be greeted with a laugh and let's go have a beer rather than off with your head. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's and, and that's was, called it's a, evolving. <laughs> that, that's evolution, right? Oh yeah, and it was a wonderful segment. And that that argument is that goes back to um, uh, Mark Twain mm-hmm. and letters from the Earth and. I, the 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 generosity of uh, of Noah because mm-hmm. uh, he let all those people drown, but he saved the flies. <laughs> so thank goodness for that. Yeah. Um. And there and if you if you are a person who is inclined to take that book literally, um, there's all kinds of reasons in there for you to uh, the 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 best literary criticism I heard was it's the only book where the hero is also the villain. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I have I really... have one quick Job story to tell you uh-huh. in that uh, a friend of mine in freshman year in college, we all had to read the book of Job for yeah. our freshman humanities course. And the entire freshman class had to read it. One of my friends, um, I'll call him Mike because his name was Mike, uh, had the hots for one of our classmates and uh, was pursuing her at however one does that and uh, had a meal with her in the cafeteria. Um, She told him that she was no longer going to go to temple. This was, this was at Brandeis. Most of the students were Jewish. And she said, I'm, I'm not going to temple anymore. I'm not going to go to Shul anymore because um, I just finished reading uh, Job for our humanities class. And God is such a meanie. Uh Yep. God's a jerk. And poor Mike. Um, Mike, hearing that, uh, you have a line, Driftglass, about uh, giving a woman a sandwich. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. 
when you know it's not going to go anywhere, there's a, <laughs> it's time there's a, to give her a sandwich. There's a line from uh, one of the Iron Man movies. Oh. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. How'd she take it? Like a champ. Like a champ. You know, <laughs> basically put her in a cab. Yeah. Along with the dry cleaning. And <laughs> Then you will never see her again. Never but see yeah, her yeah. again. Then that yeah. was Mike's response to God is a meanie. <laughs> he couldn't take her seriously anymore. So that was over. God's an asshole in that story. <laughs> God's an absolute son of a bitch in that story. It starts, I'm, for those of you who haven't read it, I don't want to ruin it for you. Uh, you might wait for the movie to come out. Actually, um, you know, I, I define that story a little differently. I think the I think the lesson of Job is, and not to defend parts of the Bible where God is an asshole because... Lord knows there are parts of the Bible where God makes no sense. But I think that the story of Job is about the inner life being too important to be represented by a lifestyle, which is what we were talking about. Driving your uh-huh. Escalade to your mega church and going to the game and living in a subdivision. And right. Job had all those things. He did. Job had all those things and God took them away. And what is left? He didn't mm-hmm. have his health. He was bo- had boils. He was... And it was all a bet with the devil. See, there's there's the thing. I would love this to be theology on tap because yeah. you, you, a, you and I could really have a wonderful conversation. And but let's let me just uh, represent my side of the Joe yeah, argument. Um, it's 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 a bet with the devil mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that if you take away all this guy's good shit, um, he'll turn uh, on he'll, you. He'll turn on you. Yeah, yeah. Now let let's understand what the good shit was. Job was the other righteous man in the Bible. Job performed all the sacrifices. This is this is after God said, "Look, here's a jillion rules you got to follow. But if you follow every one of them to the fucking letter, I will favor you." And Job followed every one of them to the letter. He sacrificed for his kids. He was he was that persnickety about following every single stinking rule. And so he made good. He and that was the contract God had with his people and Job lived up to it. Mm-hmm. To the letter. And the devil comes along and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got nice shit, but he'll he'll blow you off if you take it all away. And God didn't just take away his house. He killed his family. Yep, yep. And it's not— and No one ever talks about how uh, at the end of Job, Job is restored and given a, given a new family. But what about the wife that died? Exactly. That <laughs> She's wasn't, just chattel. That wasn't his escalade he took yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. That was his—he he murdered a bunch of people on a bet. Yeah. And then he kept punishing Job and punishing him after he said, after God had said, I will not do this if you follow the rules. And Job finally, I don't believe Job was patient at all. I think it's a mistranslation. I think Job was pissed. He says, where the hell do you get off doing this? I did everything you asked. And God's answer was, fuck you. I created you. I can do whatever I want with you. And then he then he gave him another wife, another kid, et cetera. But it was a. Uh, but it was another wife and another kid, yeah, and it's not the same. Hey. What about my original wife? She does she matter at all? No, she nah, doesn't matter. Nah, She's nah. just a woman. Oh. So yeah. I have a I, now I'm I'm reading into a Bronze Age fable. Uh, yeah, exactly. My, my modern sensibilities, and there there is a moral lesson there. But I think Job is one of the most honest books in the Bible because it is not about a bad man being punished. It's about the best man being being tested. For fun, because <laughs> God is bored. So fuck it. Yeah, I'll take the nicest guy I know and screw with him until he until he complains about it. And then there's this uh, line from uh, The Big Sleep where um, you, you know he'll uh, he'll bash your teeth out and then kick you in the stomach for mumbling. Yeah, that's yeah. the act of a gangster, not yeah. an almighty yeah. being. 
Um, well, this so is what anyway. ticks me off so much with the YouTube debate, the Republican YouTube debate, where they had some kid hold up a copy of the Bible and ask all the Republican candidates, do you believe in this book or not? Yeah. <laughs> I believe it exists and you're holding it. Yeah. yeah. Any other yeah. Are you worshiping yeah. it? Is it your, you know, what is, what is it to you? And yeah. it, it's a, it's an idol, you know, you're, you're actually disobeying that book by holding it up as some sort of idol that we all have to follow <laughs> unwaveringly. <laughs> And so I believe I now have to burn you uh, or or, stone. <laughs> or something. Yeah. So sorry, dude. I mean, I'm just, you know, that's the book. I got to stone you now. I, I wish I didn't have to, but shit. I, I had a, a epiphany this week about <laughs> MSNBC. I don't know if you if you've had the same epiphany, okay. but I was so ticked off that uh, Lawrence O'Donnell had a segment about the outrageous things Paul Ryan said on Meet the Press. Yes. Oh, I, I know. I, I did one of those futile things that I do, which is I tweeted him and I sent uh, oh, I did the same thing to, yeah. to Lawrence yeah. O'Donnell yeah. and directly going and this this. Yeah, it hacks me off immensely how they do this. It well, just, and I, I tweeted it, too. I said, you know, Chuck Todd was right there when Paul Ryan was saying this stuff. Uh -huh. Why didn't Chuck? Why didn't Chuck Todd say, you know, what you're saying is complete bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I can and prove it. And and but because Chuck Todd's job is to, is to not do that. Well, Chuck Todd, but see, this is the epiphany I had, which is Chuck Todd's show provides the raw material for the entire week at MSNBC. Well, sure. So sure. therefore, there's and this is why MSNBC's ratings are in the tank, in my personal opinion. Nobody needs to have the lies of Meet the Press dissected for them. No. And if it's hours and hours and hours of that, then nobody has time for that. People have a no. life. You know, besides us, we don't have a life. We we watch Lawrence constantly, but you know, this is not uh, rocket science. It it's obvious that Chuck Todd's show is the meat on which all of the other shows then build their stories feed. for the week. Yeah, yeah. They, they feed off it. Yeah, so we'll have this congressman on this Repu nine times out of ten Republican congressman on uh -huh. to talk about his positions on things. That's a total lie. And uh, that that Barack Obama's what 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 was it that Paul Ryan said this week? You remember? Oh, that the yeah six six years of the Obama uh, economy has basically destroyed the middle class. Yeah, right. Just uh, just you know, like the Democrat, just like when Paul Ryan said the Democratic Party is responsible for the obstructions in Washington. Yeah. While he was obstructing the 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 appointment of a Surgeon General yeah. himself. Yeah, yeah, they take a break from filibustering his own filibustering. Or something. Come and talk about how awful Democrats are. Yeah, which is fine because you know. Let's and face Paul it, Ryan has written the budget that will destroy the middle class yeah. in America. And and well, Paul the Ryan, Obama economy is destroying the middle class in America. Yeah, okay. Well, and the the question for me is never why is a Republican such a uh, amoral jackal? No, because no, they are. I get that. I get that. The, the question is how the hell do they keep getting a public platform? And the answer. And the answer seems to elude Lawrence O'Donnell. How, my goodness, how the, well, Lawrence, if you want to know, I told, you know, in my own impotent way that never amounts to anything, Rachel Maddow, the same thing. I've told Chris Hayes the same thing. If you want to know how this bullshit keeps getting on the air, take a camera crew, walk down the hall 40 feet and ask, because the asshole who's doing it is right next to you. And of course, they never ask. This, uh, this is my problem with Morning Joe. Joe Scarborough, same who's corporation. Get, who's getting really bad these yeah. days. It's getting worse. A, 
Yeah, he basically is bored out of his mind, and he's paid more than you know everyone else combined. And, well, and he really wants Jeb Bush to be president. Yeah. So yeah. But he he I mean, for example, on his show this week, he just doctored a tape of Barack Obama mm-hmm. to make it a both sides issue. To make the anti-vax paranoia a both sides issue, he took a quote from Barack Obama in 2008 and truncated it, mm-hmm. just chopped off the second half. So it, it sounded like Barack Obama was just as nutty as Rand Paul. And then, then he could say, well, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a left right issue. The extremes on both it's sides. Both sides. Yeah. And and at the very end of the interview, <laughs> one of his mealy mouth little regulars said, well, you know. Uh, no, someone another... tweeted him. Someone yeah. tw- tweeted yeah. the mealy mouth. And said, well, you know, there's another part. The, the, here's what the rest of the speech says. And it it's the exact opposite ends. of what you were saying. Yeah. Yes. So you need to have Joe, vaccinations. Yes. So Joe Scarborough did the sort I mean, the sort of cheap ass Andrew Breitbart um, uh, editing of the tape. Yeah. To, yeah. to make a political uh, point, to stab someone in the political back on purpose. Or he's just utterly incompetent in his job. But oh, and way, when confronted with that, I said, no, no, yeah, yeah, no, nah, it's, nah, both nah, no it's both sides. No, it's both sides. It's both sides. Both sides. Yeah. Now, he should have been at a minimum suspended for uh, that kind of grotesque. But they, they never suspend people like him. They never suspend him. You suspend, you, you make sure Alec Baldwin is fired. Yes. You fire Phil Donahue. <laughs> you, you get rid of those people. But people like Joe Scarborough could, could drop trowel and take a dump on the desk every day for a week. And everyone would just look away and pretend that it was clever. And they'd have technical difficulties and they'd come back. And Mika would talk about her legs and a diet for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole show. That's the whole fucking three-hour show. It's the same Harold Ford Jr. It's the same dead-ass Mike Barnacle nonsense. And it's awful. It's just awful. And it was. it's always been awful because Joe Scarborough, Scarborough has always been a scumbag. And it it's what makes MSNBC a laughingstock. Because everyone knows that... On Sundays, the, the people who are higher up the food chain from them will, will do the opposite of everything that they complain about all week long. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, if it had been Sean Hannity or Bill O'Reilly who doctored, doctored something Barack change. Obama Absolutely. said, MSNBC would, would spend the next three days every evening parsing their outrage over Reminding how could this be allowed. But it was Joe Scarborough, and he's in the family, so you know, forget about it. It just never happened. And that's how it gets away with it, because the tiny little bastion of liberals on television will never, ever take on their own, will never take on the people in their own network who are, in fact, the problem. And you know, you've heard this from me a million times, but and if I can just make a little segue to uh, Glenn Greenwald. Go right it. Really? I, I'm not going to go deep into it. Because <laughs> you, know, you know we're at 54 minutes right now with well, Science Fiction University. So. And I'm not going to go into it. Okay. Uh, all I'm going to say is that he said something really offensive and outrageous this week. Um, I think it's, it's objectively uh, absurd and pretty awful. He was tragedy trolling. Oh. And what I know for a fact is that no one, no one in the liberal media will take him on. We'll even mention it. It'll just. It'll what did just he say? I, I missed this part. Uh, it, it was the ISIS burning the the oh. Jordanian soldier alive. Yeah. Um, and he did what he did with the Boston massacre and a bunch of other stuff. He 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 spends two terse sentences saying, "Yeah, sure, it was terrible, but you know, drones." Oh my God. And then went on for 19 paragraphs about how other people have burned burned alive by the U.S. and by Israel. And burning alive is something we do all the time. 
blah, 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 uh, drone, 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 blah, 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 drone, drone. And then it gets to the very end. It goes, you know, some people will say there's some moral difference between, you know, what the U.S. does and deliberately burning people alive. But I think that really misses the point. And then he'll go on to explain why there is no moral difference between what ISIS does and what the U.S. does. And that's because he's a fucking asshole. He's a tragedy troller. He goes to the site of, like the Westboro Baptist Church, he goes to the site of, of the most outrageous headline, sets up his little card table and starts pamphleteering for his pet causes. And that's fine. He has every right to do that. But not one fucking liberal will stand up to him and say, you know what, this is too much. Yeah, I get I get you with Snowden. I get you with security. I'm with you, you know, with being pissed off at the Obama administration for a lot of things. But this is just too fucking far. Mm -hmm. And this is just you acting like a complete bloodthirsty asshole. You you are you're desperate for the headlines. You're desperate for attention. And not one fucking liberal will say it. Except Nobody you. You did. Me and Bob Seska. That's about it. <laughs> um, but it's the same thing. In my mind, it is remarkably similar to the way that MSNBC will not clean the rats out of its own basement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They just won't do it. And that's what, that's what kills them as a, I consider a credible source for a lot of things. I'll still listen to the, the three in the evening. I will still uh, tune in <laughs> on Saturday morning late because, let's face it, uh, Up with Chris Kornacki is a fucking wasteland. Sorry, Steve, Steve Kornacki. Steve Up with Steve Kornacki is just uh, Meet the Press Jr. I mean, really, it's just it's a joke. It's him reading poll numbers at you and then talking about Hillary. Chris Christie. Chris you know, Christie and that's Hillary. it. That's yep. the entire show. So uh, uh, Melissa Harris Perry is still very much worthwhile. But they have flushed their goodwill down the toilet. Um, and I don't know why they did it, but they've done it. And well, sort of there's all up. there's all kinds of talk about a shakeup happening, but all the talk is they're going to keep Ronan Farrow. So I'm not I'm not particularly <laughs> impressed with where things are going. Okay. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website an Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's Internet Kitties are Juno and Leia, and they are the Twisted Sisters. <laughs> they snuggle on the knees like sisters do. You should, can go see them at our website and Facebook page. You can send your Internet Kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go, Postal Unions! Letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. Don't forget our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso-based beverage for yourself, buy one for us. And Drift Glass, we've started to get emails from people saying, as soon as my tax refund comes, I'm going to send you $10. <laughs> like, yeah, hey. yeah, we know. Hey, Believe you, me. <laughs> you, you owe us nothing. You owe us nothing. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, we, oh, we appreciate, really appreciate your it. support. Yeah. Really, really and, do. And you don't need to explain that you're waiting for your income tax refund no. because we really know what that's like, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. We sure do. Uh, it's already, it's spent already at this house. Hey, we've I've got, spent that money six different times, yeah, you know, so. I'm. Hopefully we can reimburse the the uh, debt on the basement repair that we we did have the basement uh, sump pumped and uh, hopefully the uh, tax refund will pay for part of that. Approximately one percent of our listeners support this podcast with a contribution, and you can too. See our website professionalleft.blogspot.com for details. Please rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and thank you, Drift Glass. How are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, Bugali, Internet Kitties have had their shots. Have you? Come on, people. Get immunized. Let's think about living. Think about living. Let's think about, think about loving. 
Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, lovey dovey. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. The Professional Love Podcast is recorded under Creative Commons license. Copyright 2015, Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Jeff Glass. Science Fiction University, our friend Dogface Herman, I think he does like sending those to us. We certainly like getting them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He wrote us and said, I believe writing a story is like writing music. There are only so many notes on a keyboard and only so many combinations of notes that sound good together. It's how you play the notes that count. The Who's cover of the Batman theme sounds nothing like the Ventures. And Iggy Pop's Batman is nothing like Link Ray and his Raymen. Uh, can, can I uh, break in and say that uh, Spider Robinson wrote a story to that effect? Oh, did he really? <laughs> yeah. uh, an essay, more like an essay called... Everybody, called, just go ahead and take a drink. <laughs> take a drink. I believe it was called Melancholy Elephants. Oh, all right. Anyway, but yeah. Well, here's the deal. True. We have six clips... From television shows. Okay. And Dogface Timerun would like you to guess the movie or TV show on these clips and the non-science fiction story it is based on. Oh, all right. Some of these are a direct retelling of classic stories. Uh Others may be a stretch. And there are six of them. Okay. And Dogface Herman wrote, I'm glad you are enjoying these. And that's great. We, we, we are. are. We're having a lot Very of fun. Very much. And the weirder, like, the more complicated and the, the sort of uh, two-step. Yeah. The, the, the that, gets you, that gets you going. Uh, the... Um, you're not you're not so good on the uh, music clues, I've noticed. No. But no. The, the clips from movies and TV shows, you're pretty good at finding out what these are. So... Or figuring them out. Okay. Number one. TV satellite control. Take over. Ladies and gentlemen, today the first of what may be as many as 10 million families per year is setting out on its epic voyage into man's newest frontier for colonization, deep space. Reaching out into other worlds from our desperately overcrowded planet, a series of deep thrust telescopic probes into neighboring galaxies have conclusively established Alpha Centauri as the one planet within the range of our technology able to furnish ideal conditions for human existence. The space family, selected for more than two million volunteers for its unique balance of scientific achievement, emotional stability, and pioneer resourcefulness, will spend the 98 years of their voyage frozen into a state of suspended animation. Oh, that is, uh, uh, well, first of all, can I tell you what pisses me off about this clip? (laughs) Is it something pedantic? I hope so. Oh, of course. I'm about to split a hair with a, you know, with a laser. Um, let's get out of the way. It's lost in space. Yes, it is lost uh, in space. And what is and it, what is the story? The classic story that lost in space. Well, it's the uh, Robinson family. So it's it's the Swiss family Robinson, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, what hacks me off about this? This happens all the time. Um, is the mention of faraway galaxies. Uh, we, our telescopes have explored faraway galaxies, and we found that the most uh, habitable planet is uh, Alpha Centauri, or likely whatever. All right, Alpha Centauri is the nearest major star to Earth. Mm-hmm. All right, nearest major star. That's like from here to the corner, 
post office. Okay. All right. It's it's half a block away. All right. There are it's space terms. You space mean space terms? It's right down the block. <laughs> it's right down the block. Okay. And, and and that and we are in a solar system. A solar system has a star, two stars or three stars, but it's a stellar system. It's one cluster of stars or one star. Our solar system has one star in it. And the nearest one like that is Alpha Centauri, sort of. Um, our galaxy is, if I may rip off um, um, Carl Sagan, the late great Carl Sagan, is made up of billions and billions of stars. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to the next galaxy to get a whole shitload of stars to look at. In fact, you'd be insane to do that because our galaxy across, take that width and double, double, double it. That's the distance to the next galaxy. So the idea, you know, it, it would take you, I don't know, how many, 30,000, 40,000 years to travel across it just It would take you billions and billions of <laughs> lifetimes to do this. Yes. yes. So the idea that you have billions and billions of stars and a galaxy so big you couldn't possibly explore it in a million lifetimes. But what you're going to do is look at the next galaxy over <laughs> is insane <laughs> and is stupid. It's just, it, it's insulting. Um, so it's as if you were to say, okay, we discovered that down the block is the most habitable life form available because we used our telescope to scan Pluto. (laughs) Well, why the fuck would you do that? You know, that's, that's just, it's, it's insulting and it's silly. And it shows that some writer somewhere didn't understand the scale of things. But galaxy is a cool word and it's very exotic. So it is, it's just. It's annoying to people. Okay, like me. all right. Anyway, so that's more than you more than you paid for. Say thanks, Dogface Herman. Thank you, Dogface Herman. Number two. Enterprise to shuttlecraft. Come in, shuttlecraft. Come in, shuttlecraft. Shuttlecraft to Enterprise. Decker here. Commodore, I must insist that you return to the ship. You said it yourself, Spock. There is no way to blast through the hull of that machine, so I'm going to take this thing right down its throat. This is Kirk. Matt, you'll be killed. I've been prepared for death ever since I... ever since I killed my crew. No one expects you to die for an error in judgment. The commander is responsible for the lives of his crew and for their deaths. Well... I should have died with mine. You cannot succeed, Commodore. Your only logical alternative is to return to the ship. Okay, that's uh, that's your Star Trek. That's your Star Trek right there. That's your uh, William Wyndham. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, the the great William Wyndham who was in uh, what was he? He was in uh, My World and Welcome to My it. World, Welcome to it. I love that show, man. Yeah. I love that show. Um, he was also in a really good um, um, night gallery episode called "The Tearing Down Tim Riley's Bar." A really a wonderful, wonderful episode. Um, but a great actor, and he. This is where he's gonna kill the great white something or other machine <laughs> that killed my crew. Like, okay, I think we get a little bit of Moby Dick going on. Just a little bit of Moby Dick going on in this one. The, the obsessed captain who's going to kill the monster at all costs. Yeah, yeah. All right, number three. Kill for pay. I have no home, no family, no principles. What else would I kill for? Pleasure. No, it's strictly business with me. Now, what's your pitch? 
I'm hiring mercenaries to protect against an invasion. But food and shelter is all we can offer in payment. All of our wealth is in our culture. I could buy your planet ten times over what I've gathered in this room. Plutonium. Cadmium. Quailine crystals. I've been very well paid for my work. I'm sorry I've wasted your time. No. Wait. Listen to the rest of it. I sleep with my back to the wall when I can sleep. I eat serpents seven times a week. It's not a major city in this galaxy where I can show my face or spend my wealth. Right now, your offer looks very attractive to me. A meal and a place to hide. Shit. Um, I, I would guess, it can't be right, I'm guessing um, uh, Magnificent Seven. It's not. It, it is not Magnificent Seven, although... It is Robert Vaughn. Yeah, that's totally unfair. Because <laughs> I mean, it clearly is. It's not because it's not the right dialogue for Magnificent yeah. Seven. But it's it's he's playing the same character. It as is. It is actually um, a movie from 1980 made in West Germany oh. called Battle Beyond the Stars. <laughs> now called Germany. Made so. <laughs> made. Uh, Dogface Terman has Seven Samurai as the source story, but you know, yeah, obviously, that's, that's Magnificent Seven. Well, it was it, based it on the Seven based Samurai. Based on the Seven Samurai. So, yes, you, you get points for that. And uh, that is Robert Vaughn starring in this uh, B-movie, Battle Beyond the Stars, from 1980. Well, all I can say is I was busy. <laughs> I was very busy. I don't, I don't want to talk about what I was busy doing, but I was very busy. Number four. <laughs> My son, do you think I'll never see you again? If only I could think of a way to bring Astro back to life. I know it's impossible, but if I were to construct a robot. That's it, robot. I'll build a robot that looks like Astro. It'll be my masterpiece. He'll live forever. Ah! <laughs> forever! From now on, fellow scientists, every test tube and every machine we have is going to be devoted to one purpose, the construction of a super robot. That clear? The robot will look just like my son, Astra. <laughs> He'll operate on a rocket motor generating more than 100,000 horsepower. You know, I have never, I don't think I've ever seen this before, but based on the clip and based on, I think Dogface Herman sent music for this. That's got to be Astro Boy. That is Astro Boy. You're yeah. right. And if and this is this is the this is that one question every test where I just sort of bullshit and and logic my way through it. If it's a, a man trying to trying to bring a a boy to life, I'm guessing it has something to do with Pinocchio. That's right. Yeah, that is correct. But I all didn't right. know that at all. I I did not know that at all. Yeah, but you did know. I mean, you knew from the clip that it was Pinocchio, yes. sort of. And I know Dogface Herman's habits. So. Yes, and this is Astro Boy. Yes, this is okay. Astro Boy. All right, number five. Nine killed you, nine shall die and be returned your loss. Nine times nine, nine killed you, nine shall die. Nine eternities in doom. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's the inimitable Vincent Price. That's correct. Um... 
who's in every good movie, uh, and uh, <laughs> including the Ten Commandments, where he's just as gay as could be, as gay as today is long. He's in Laura. Yeah. He is in that old noir yeah. film, Laura. Yeah. Did I tell you that Vincent Price got me in trouble when I was in Yes, you did. You told yeah. me that story uh, on the podcast. Don't okay. do it again. I won't do it again. <laughs> you all have to go back and look to the SoundCloud. Uh, that's that's the abominable Dr. Fibes. That's the abominable Dr. Fibes. Yeah. And what is the story that it is based on? Uh, Phantom of the Opera? No, close. It's Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, okay. I love, right. I love, the, I love the sandwich. Um, All right, uh, number six. Wait a minute. I got a question for you, Dogface Herman. What other famous science fiction story, uh, one of the canonical works of science fiction, uh, is also based on the Count of Monte Cristo? All right, people can write in with that answer, and Slash, we're going to go on to number six. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, I would also accept um, um, Les Miserables. Okay, yeah. Okay. Number six. Uh-huh. I will, I will let you know that this is a TV show. I, I think right. you're going to recognize it right away, who it is. So I'll just say that. All right, here it is. Okay. Tomorrow at the appropriate hour, fixed by the astrologers, in the great coronation room of the Palace of Tara, I am to be crowned king. Well, congratulations. They will be in order if I get there. Why? What's to stop you? Count Grendel of Graft. He'll kill me if he needs to. After all, you can't crown a dead prince. Grendel and his men will be watching every entrance to the palace to prevent my getting to the coronation room at the ordained time. So? If I fail to appear at the right moment, I forfeit my right to the crown. Ah. And that's when Grendel of Grok steps in, hmm? The only other contender for the throne is the Princess Strella. But she disappeared some time ago. Nobody knows where she is. Where's George come into all this? There have been three attempts on His Highness's life already. The next one could be successful. Ah, I see. Let him attack George here instead of the prince. Precisely. We use George, the android copy of me, to create a diversion, to distract their attention. To draw their fire. To draw their fire, while we slip past the guards into the coronation room. What do you think, Doctor? Well, it has been done before. Well, that's Tom Baker. That's the fourth Doctor. That's correct. <laughs> so so I'm guessing it's Doctor Who. It's the Doctor Who. It's the Sean Connery of Doctor Who's. It is our Doctor. Well, everyone has, you know, never forget your first Doctor. And I respect that Middle Child's Doctor is not Tom Baker. Yes. But uh, this is our Doctor, Tom Baker. Okay. Middle Child, who's now writing science fiction stories. Oh, my goodness. And they're pretty good, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have we have writers in our in our household. In, <laughs> among the children. You're winning. Yes. Um, um, okay. I... I I um I teed off the word Grendel. Um, I'm thinking possibly Beowulf, but I I really don't know. Nope. It's uh the name of this episode is the Androids of Tara, and it okay. is based on Prisoner of Zenda. Oh well, okay. Which is the the twin kings. One of them is is somehow incapacitated, and the other this commoner has to be stand in his place. Can, can I can I, make a, can I make a terrible confession? What. I've I've seen uh, I've I've seen um, um, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, and I've seen I've seen all the twin replacement the the, the Prince and the Pauper. Uh-huh. I've read them all. I've never read or seen any any of the Prisoner of Zenda ever. Hmm. Well, didn't Danny Kay do something? Um, oh yeah, he was Prisoner of Zenda. Like he was, he played a, a king. And there was Moon over Parador. I think that was a twin thing. And Dave. The movie Dave was, uh, you know, a replacement for the president. Yeah, we got to go. 
That was really good. Thank you, Dogface Terman, and thank you, Drift Class. I love you. I'll talk to you uh, in a little while. Okay. <laughs> and and you love me, not Dogface Terman, right? I <laughs> I love what Dogface Terman sends us. Thank you, yeah. Dogface Terman. Yeah. And I love my husband. Yeah. Okay. All right. Later's. Later's. Bye.